That's good, dang. Well, good morning. Happy wild card weekend to you guys. <laughs> and we watched that, uh, the, uh, the, the Chargers and the Jaguars game last night? Oh, my gosh. Okay. Well, hey, uh, if we haven't met, my name is Bert. I'm one of the pastors here, and um, I get to bring you the, uh, the scriptures today. So uh, if you have a Bible, do me a favor, open up to Acts chapter 2 is where we're going to be today. Two. Uh, while you're turning there, um, I guess I should just, you know, I'm going to just keep, keep reiterating this. So it's a brand new year, uh, and we are covering the book of Acts, which is a book at the beginning of the church. And so just speaking of church, I, I want to just take a second uh, and, and say we're thankful for, for all you guys being here. And, and to uh, our online friends, thank you so much for tuning in. I just want to say what I said last week, which is, listen, uh, if you would say that Solid Ground Church is your church, we want to encourage you to get in the car and come. Okay, uh, and the reason that we want to do that, like we don't want to make it awkward or anything. Like, like we work hard on the online broadcast. We do that for folks who are maybe checking it out to see if this is the church for them or not, or people who are sick and can't physically be here. We don't do it for people who feel like sleeping in. So um, let, me, let me just say it like this. And I know that sounds harsh, but listen, I, I just want to put it this way. Um, and this is the illustration that we used last week. Um, like you can watch like a night fire on YouTube, right? And you can see it, and you can kind of you can hear the crackling. Um, but there's something different about being in the presence of a real fire, right? I mean, like, there's the smoke, there's the heat. I mean, it's just a completely different experience. That you're experiencing it, and you're not experiencing it. And we would say the same is true of church online. You're experiencing it's better than nothing, um, but come experience the fire with us. We went, like, the doors were open. So let me just encourage you, if, like, you were tuning in this morning, um, we have a second service at 1030. Turn this off and come to church at 1030, Okay. <laughs> All right, so all that stuff said, now I've made it awkward enough, um, and, and our online viewership has plummeted, um, so let me just, um, let me set this up the right way, okay? So we're going to read about the story of Pentecost. We're going to start it uh, today, we're going to continue it next week, uh, and we'll just keep going with it. Um, and Pentecost is the beginning of the church. It's something that, uh, uh, you know, uh, Pastor Bill Salmon's a mentor who actually he passed this week. I don't know if you heard that or not. Um, he used to say that uh, Pentecost should be celebrated just as much as we celebrate Christmas or Easter. Like, it's that big of a deal. Um, and he's right. And so to understand, like, what this is all about, like, to understand what Pentecost is, I want to actually take it back 50 days before it, okay? And so we're going to look at, like, to go into uh, the Last Supper. So you've got this moment where Jesus is with his disciples, all right? He, he's, he's, he's preparing them, like basically he's telling them, I'm going to leave, okay? And, and he, you know, he's going to be executed the next day, and he's tr- like the best that he can, he's trying to, to set up like what's going to happen with them. And it, it's literally it's his last meal with them before he dies. And I've said this before, like, you know, if you knew that you had 24 hours to live, how would that change how you communicate with the people that you love? Like, what would you say to them? Like, what, 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 what would dominate your, your train of thought? Like, could we agree that if you knew that this was the last time you were going to talk with people that you care about the most, you would probably say whatever is most important to you, right? And so that's exactly what Jesus does here. And in John 14, for instance, this is what he begins to tell them. In John 14, 16, he says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. This word advocate, what it means is like somebody who stands on your behalf. It can sometimes be legal language. Like it's that person who goes to court, not quite like a lawyer. Their, their court system was a little bit different. But basically like they would stand and testify to the judge on your behalf. They were there in your corner, okay? That's this idea here. I'll, I'll give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. 
Well, who is that? Verse 17, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you. And this last thing that's interesting and will be in you. So in other words, hey, listen, you guys, you guys have been experiencing what he's been doing all along. He lives with you. Like he's on the planet right now. He's around you. But something is going to fundamentally change in how he relates to you. Instead of the Holy Spirit like being this, this sort of force, <laughs> as people thought of, not people didn't think that way, but just this idea of like he's outside of you, he sort of comes down and then he leaves. No, instead what he's going to do is he's going to actually dwell with you. Now, this is common to us because we've grown up post the cross. Okay, but this idea of like this, literally the breath of God staying within a person is completely outside of how they thought. But Jesus, he continues. Oh, actually, let me say one thing to you. And, and the thing to understand is like they hear this and yet they don't hear it because there's like, because he's telling them, listen, I'm going to go. And they're devastated by this. And so like they're even like, well, but if you're not here, how will we go on? If you're not here, like if you're not walking with us, what will we do? And how many of us, we think this way sometimes, where we just think, okay, listen, you know, like we read the Gospels and we're like, man, if, I, if only I were there, right? Like if only I could walk physically with Jesus, wouldn't that be so much better? And according to Jesus, no, it wouldn't be. And the reason it wouldn't be is because if that happened, the Holy Spirit wouldn't be living inside of you. Like, if, if the Holy Spirit's not in you, then that means he's not transforming your heart. He's not, like, activating you to the voice of God. And so everything would be external. And so Jesus, he, he says, listen, you know, I know that you're grieving. And then in, but he says this in John uh, 16. Uh, actually, I don't think I have this slide here, but guys, I'll just read it to you. John 16, 7, he says, but very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And then they're like, what? what? And then to his disciples who still don't get it, he says it like this in John 16, 13. He goes, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he'll tell you what is yet to come. Hey, he's, he's going to talk to you like God himself will talk to you. Your prayers won't be one-way conversations anymore. And he's going to guide you into truth illuminate the scripture he's gonna he's gonna speak to you about like like life and reality and he, sometimes guys, he'll even tell you what's coming down the road oh that's pretty awesome and they go cool i guess and then jesus dies and then he rises and that brought us to acts chapter one which we read last week it's the end of 40 days of him walking and talking with his disciples and acts one starting in verse four he said this he said on one occasion while he's talking about jesus was eating with them he gave them this command do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So guys, here's how big a deal this is. Whatever you do, don't even leave the city. Until the Holy Spirit is filling you and empowering that thing that I told you about before, until that happens, you should not do anything except pray and wait for him to show up which leads us to Acts 2. So in Acts 2, starting in verse 1, it says this. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. 
All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Okay. And we're going to just pause for a second right there. Because like, this, like these four verses, they're almost like, I mean, there's, there's such depth to what's being said here. And it's just sort of thing on top of each other. It's almost like a Russian doll of theology. You know what I mean? Like, like you have the Russian doll, like you, you open, there's a thing inside of that. You open that, there's a thing inside of that. Right? That, that. There is so much here. This is so dense. I want you to sort of pick apart what's being said. Like, because like to Luke's original hearers, a lot of them had a background and stuff. They, they would have instantly got it, but, but we don't. And so I want you to take a little bit of time to begin to, to understand what's being said in this passage. So actually, like we're going to start the idea today. We're going to finish that part of it next week because it's so stinking dense. Fun! <laughs> All right. So the very first thing that we have to talk about, this is when the day of Pentecost came. All right, what's Pentecost? Because believe it or not, they didn't invent this holiday. This is a holiday that already existed. Okay, so what was it? Well, Pentecost um, comes from, from uh, the Greek word uh, Pentecost, or yeah, Pentecost, I think, uh, which, which means, or maybe it's Pentecost Day. All right, regardless, it means 50, all right? And, and it's a Greek word on top of a Jewish holiday. The Jewish holiday was usually called like the Festival of Weeks or something like that. Um, and basically what, what happened is this. Um, so this goes all the way back to Exodus, like back when, like, you know, when God delivers the Israelites from slavery in Egypt, you know, you've heard that story, like Moses, right? Okay. Okay. Some people are like, what is that? Read it. So anyway, uh, okay. So you've got, you've got this moment where, okay, like God speaks to Moses. He tells him, go, let, you know, like tell Pharaoh to let my people go, right? And, and so Moses goes before Pharaoh and there's just plague after plague because Pharaoh refused to let them go, right? And there's the very last one called Passover, right? Where, where, okay, God says, listen, this is the last thing that's going to happen, Okay. Okay, you, go, you guys take the blood of a lamb, you put it over your doorposts, right? Okay, and then every house where I see the blood of the lamb, I'll pass over. But everywhere else where that blood is not present, I'll kill the firstborn. Remember that thing, right? And so that's exactly what happens. Like the, the, the avenging angel goes through Egypt and like all the, all the firstborn who are in houses that are not covered by the blood of the lamb, uh, the firstborn die. And then, okay, Pharaoh goes, all right, finally, okay, and he lets them go, right? And, and then... And then Fifty days after this, uh, they're out in the wilderness, and God has told them, "Listen, okay, uh, you guys are going to celebrate something. You're going to celebrate this thing called the Festival of, of Weeks. And what it's going to do? It's going to do two things. And this is really, really neat. Okay, so quickly, number one, what it's going to do um, is it's going to like like whenever you guys have a harvest, because this is the time of the year when the harvest is, is starting. Okay, you're going to take the first fruits of your harvest, and you're going to you're going to bring them before me." Okay, and, and what, you're, what this is basically doing is saying, number one, Lord, we thank you because you provided for us. And number two, we trust you with everything going forward. We recognize that our lives are in your hand. And so if we're gonna have any life from here out, we have to believe that it's going to come from you, okay? So how did this all start? You got the Passover. And so when they would do this 50 days later thing, they were remembering that they only got out of slavery by God's activity. But now here's the food that they've only have because of God. So they're going, listen, I, like, I thank you because you've taken care of me and I trust you with my future. That's the first thing that they celebrated with Pentecost. The second part, this is really, really cool. It was the anniversary of the giving of the law. It was the anniversary of God coming down on Mount Sinai, 50 days after the Passover, okay? God coming down on Mount Sinai when they're out in the wilderness, right? And, and there's the smoke and there's the fire and the whole mountain trembles and God tells them, right, listen, if you're going to walk with me, this is what life is going to look like. This is big, okay? Because look, when we talk about Pentecost and we talk about a new, like, new thing happening on a holiday, what God is he's redefining and he's taking their, their mind back to it. Okay, listen, this is what life before was with, or life with me before was like, but now you've got a whole new way of life with me. And this is what it's gonna look like. 
Okay, so the reason that this happens on Pentecost is because number one, if we're going to the like the new covenant, okay, what happens? Jesus, our Passover lamb, has been slaughtered. All right? His blood is over us so that death does not come towards us because we have eternal life through Christ, right? And then 50 days after, now here's this new way of life with God. And that's what they're hearing here when we see this thing, okay, like, like the day of Pentecost came, okay? And on top of that, here's a really cool thing, okay? You would have Jewish men from all over come to Jerusalem to go ahead and give those first fruits to God. And why that's really strategically brilliant for what's going to happen with the gospel, we'll get to next week. But I just want to sort of put that in your mind there, okay? So here's the thing. You, you've got this, this new way of life. But here's the crazy thing with the old covenant. Um, the old covenant was powerless to change hearts, right? I mean, like, like okay, when, when the giving of the law takes place on Mount Sinai, God can tell them, do this, don't do that. But it didn't do anything about the wickedness of the human heart. I don't know about you. But if I can just speak for me, there's something in me where if somebody tells me, don't do that, in my flesh, I'm like, oh, I'll show you, right? Right? Okay. I mean, like, isn't that Eden, right? God says, don't do this, and Adam and Eve are like, well, okay. All right, so, okay, you can have a list of rules, but unless somebody changes heart, the, the list is meaningless. And so what will we do about this human heart being changed? That brings us back to Jesus in John 16, where he's like, listen, the Holy Spirit is going to be in you. And so first thing to understand there is that Pentecost is about this new way of life with God. Second thing is this, okay, let's look again at verse two. It says, suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. Now, let, me, let me explain to you how they would see that, all right? Because you're like, what in the world? Like weather channel nonsense going on? Like what is that, all right? So um, in Greek, the word that, that we translate as, as wind is the word uh, pneuma. Same concept is also true in, in, in the Old Testament Hebrew, the words ruach. But basically, the idea is this, um, that wind and breath are synonymous to them. That is to say, like, okay, like, like we hear the word wind, and we just, like, you know, we think air, right? Okay, and then, but if I were to breathe out, that's a di different idea to us. But to them, it's not. So to the point where, like, when you go into the Old Testament, all right, and you'll find like these terms just kind of overlap. They'll talk about a wind, but also talk about like the breath of God. And so uh, I'll give you an example. Okay, so for instance, um, think back to the Exodus story, okay? When, when the Israelites get to the Red Sea, remember this epic moment? Maybe you remember like you've seen like the movie The Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston raises his staff, right? And the largest whoosh, right? You know what I'm talking about? Okay, all right. Um, okay, here's the interesting thing to understand. It's the why the Red Sea parted. So look at this, okay? So Moses stands there and says this in Exodus 14, 21. It says, then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land and the waters were divided. Okay, so, so what happened? There's this, and that's what divides the Red Sea. God, through this wind, does the impossible. He sets his people free. And you go, okay, well, so, all right, it's a win, big deal. Oh, no, no, no. Moses understands very, very clearly what's going on there. So if, if you go forward to Exodus 15, when Moses is recounting what just happened, this is what he says about the Red Sea. He says, uh, Exodus 15, eight, he says, by the blast of your nostrils, the water's piled up. Okay, in other words, God, you breathe and the water's parted. 
By the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The surging waters stood up like a wall. The deep waters congealed in the heart of the sea. Okay, so in other words, God, because again, you, you can't divide wind and, and spirit or breath. They're all the same thing to them. All right, and so when you come to, to, to Acts 2, okay, what's the idea? Okay, like the same God who did the impossible by breathing, just, ah, all right, and the waters part, he's doing the impossible again. In fact, I, I would argue that when we hear this idea of God's spirit, his breath, the wind, whoosh, happening in Acts 2, there's something very specific that Luke is thinking of as he's recalling these events. And believe it or not, we actually sang about it this morning. Like, so remember we talked about this idea of, of like, like the Lord breathing into the dry bones. Remember that thing? Okay, well, look at this. There's this prophecy way back, like hundreds of years before Jesus, that God speaks to this guy Ezekiel about. And God takes, in this vision, he takes Ezekiel to this valley. And in this valley, all he sees is just like dry bones, just everywhere, just skeletons just strewn across the valley. And God asks Ezekiel, he goes, how will these live? Because they're skeletons. Skeletons don't just, I don't feel that. They're not skeletons don't just get up and move around, right? And Ezekiel's flabbergasted. He's like, God, I'm only you know, okay? And then he tells him, like, well, aside. Like, tell them to live. And, and, and so Ezekiel does. And when he does, he says, like, like, the breath of God came in and animated the dry bones. Remember this? And at the end of that, here's what God says uh, is the meaning. Ezekiel 36, 26. He says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit or breath or wind in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit, wind, breath, ruach, in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. So in other words, okay, listen, when it comes to the impossibility of the human heart, okay, like, okay, we can have all these rules, but unless God changes our heart, nothing changes. God goes, I'm going to put my spirit in you. Like that same impossible breath, I'm going to put that in you. And what will happen is, it's not that you're going to decide, okay, I'm going to be a better person now. I'm going to start going to church. I'm going to start reading my Bible more. I'm going to start, like, I'm going to, you know, go to these groups. Gonna, no, it's not that. He goes, I'm going to cause you to be like me. And this is really good, okay? For the, for the one who's like, man, I keep trying. I keep failing. Trust in the Lord that he's working something on your behalf. Because he goes, I'm going to cause you to be like me. Me. All right? And so that's idea here, okay, like when like this like violent, mighty, when, well, why is it so loud and why is it so big? Because God's real big. Because God is mighty. And so when they're in this house and something says like, there's the, the sound of rushing violence, whoosh, like filling the entire house where they are. What's going on? The very breath of God that divided the Red Sea is now invading the house where they are and filling them and changing their hearts. Oh, this is awesome, right? Okay, so that's the, that's the next thing. But, but then it continues. And so look, look again at verse three. It says, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. What's that all about? Like, did they spontaneously combust? Like, what is that? Okay, well, let's understand a little bit. As you go through the Old Testament, fire is oftentimes uh, a symbol of the divine presence. So think about, like, I mean, again, go back to, to Exodus. How does the whole story of Moses' interaction with God begin? He sees a bush, and it's on fire, but doesn't burn up, remember? Okay? And the Israelites, they, they go out into the wilderness, and God's presence comes down on Mount Sinai. You remember what it is? It's this big fire, and, like, there's smoke, and the whole thing is shaking. Why? Because God's there. 
And you find this like throughout Israelite history, there, there's these sort of defining moments where fire isn't just fire, it means that God is in the place. So for instance, you can think about like uh, Elijah on Mount Carmel, right? Where, where you've got the prophets of Baal, right? And, and they say, listen, whichever God answers by fire is the true God. Why does God do it that way? Because he's going, listen, I'm still here. So the fire comes down and consumes the sacrifice, meaning God hasn't abandoned them. He hasn't turned his back. He's there. Like if they, they're sacrificing him, he goes, I'll take it. You come back to me. But even then, I don't think that's what, like those specific stories are the main one that Luke is throwing back to you. There's one story that I just read it. Every time, every time I read it, I go, oh my gosh, that's a precursor to Acts. Let me tell you what it is. It's the dedication of the temple. So you have this moment, okay, you, you got King David, and we talked about David, and then his son Solomon takes the throne after him. And Solomon decides to build a temple for the Lord. It's a place where like, it'll be the center of the worship of the Lord on the earth. And God goes, I don't need a building. You can't offer me anything, but I'll meet with you there, sure. Okay, so they have this big, like when the temple is finally completed, it's, it's a long project. When it's finally completed, man, like they had this big celebration. They're offering sacrifice after sacrifice. Like, the, like everybody's celebrating. It's really, really incredible. And you reach a moment where the glory of the Lord filled the temple so much that the, temp, like the priests who were working there couldn't even stand up. And in the middle of all that, Solomon, he gives this prayer of dedication. He says, you know, like, Lord, uh, we give this place to you, and, and, and it's this beautiful prayer. But this is what happens in 2 Chronicles 7, uh, right after Solomon prays. 2 Chronicles 7, starting in verse 1, it says, When Solomon finished praying, look at this, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The priest could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled it. And when all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground and they worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord saying, he is good, his love endures forever. And that's how the place of worship in the old covenant was established. That right there. The fire of God came down. And he goes, and God's going, listen, this is where I dwell. Right here. Okay. You know, so what so what was that to do with Acts 2? Okay. Well, if you know your Bible, you know that after the death of Jesus, the temple becomes obsolete. Right? Jesus, like Matthew talks about this, like Jesus is on the cross. When he died, it says the curtain of the Holy of Holies is torn in two from top to bottom, right? The place where God dwelled before. What's the idea? Like, top to bottom, I think it's 50 feet tall. How did that happen? God tore it in half. Because that's where the presence of God was before. But now, no. And, and, and let me just really push on that for a second here, okay? Because, if you're, well, that's just to say that the temple becomes obsolete. It absolutely does. It's why in 70 AD, it's completely destroyed and never to return. And why? Because, because it, it had served its function for that moment in history. Okay, so if the presence of the Lord has left, where's the temple of the Lord now, we'll see, according to Acts 2, now that the fire has moved somewhere else, the temple is you and me. That's why Paul can write it this way in 1 Corinthians 6, uh, 19. He says, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? Because in you, whom you have received from God, you are not your own. In other words... 
man, this is so good. This is so good. Like, like the, the presence of God that filled the temple and just overwhelmed everybody. In Acts 2, we see, listen, he's gone into believers. Believers. Now, let me just push on this a little bit more. Because a lot of us, we, when we think temple or place of worship, we think building. Right? We think, okay, like, like what makes this room holy? Well, it's because it's a church. No, you are the church. You. Well, no, this room is holy because it's been set apart to God. Well, according to Paul here, no, no, you've been set apart to God. Well, it's holy because we have holy things. You know, we've got, like, if we had, we don't have offering plates, but if we did, they'd be holy, you know? <laughs> holy table. And, and the idea of Acts here is like, no, no, the temple is way more personal than that. It's you and it's me. You've been set apart for God. And so Paul goes, listen, with that in mind, that's why you honor God with your body. Because listen, if we would look at the temple, I mean, you know, like, if, uh, I'll give you an example, okay? Um, so this week I, I was doing uh, uh, some work on, because it, it's, it's ingrained in this. So I was doing some work on the computer in the back there. I think I was putting in slides or whatever. And I had podcast or like podcasts playing. And, um, and, and in the middle of it, a guy just dropped a, a word of profanity. I, like, like, it took me off guard. Like, and there was part of me was like, oh my gosh, the building is profane now. <laughs> huh? Right? Because I recognized that, like, oh my, oh my goodness, like, this place should be pure. This place should be, like, without, like, blemish and stuff like that. And then I went, hold on, why am I okay with that being put in this building? Or I'm not okay with that being put in this building, but I'm okay with it being put in me. Well, aren't I the holy thing? Yeah. And so are you. By the blood of Christ in the new covenant. But there's something else I want us to see here with what happens with the tongues of fire, and then we'll be done. So it says this. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest. And look at this word. On each of them. Each of them. Uh, I was reading a commentary on, on Acts here. This is from the New International, uh, I think it's called NIV Application Commentary. And the author made this observation about this that I don't want us to miss. And I, just, I just thought I'd throw the quote on the screen here. He says this, The separation of tongues of fire to rest on each of them seems to suggest that uh, though under the old covenant the divine presence rested on Israel as a corporate entity, and upon many of its leaders for special purposes, under the new covenant established by Jesus and inaugurated at Pentecost, the Spirit now rests on each believer individually. In other words, it used to be that God's people were Israel as a whole. But now it's you and me as individuals. Now this is so cool, okay? And we're going to see this when we start talking about the empowering of the Holy Spirit that the way God begins to operate through us is he gives us all different gifts, different functions that we, we move in tandem with each other. But all of us have a part to play in it. Can I just say that, okay? We've got to get past this mentality that thinks that like ministry is for professionals. You know, it's, it, it's for me teaching or it's for Matt doing Young Life or it's for, it's like for those, or it's for missionary. Like, no, no, if you're a Christian, ministry is for you. And we all do them differently. And yeah, we have our little parts to play. Like, okay, like I think my job uh, among everybody in the church, my job is the least interesting. I get to open the Bible and say, here's what the stuff means. And you go, God, and then you go do the neat stuff. 
I'm serious. Like, that's, that's, that's your calling. Like, it's really cool. We'll get to that more next week. But here's the thing I want us to understand. That, okay, like, the, the, the tongues of fire go on each person. Why? Because each of us have something to do within the movement of God. It's not the church is this blank, vague entity. It's all of us, you and me together. And so let's just check this. Because here's what's really, really cool. You know, sometimes we pray and we pray and we pray like, God, will you please be with me as I go do this? God, will you be with me as I go over here? Here's the good news according to Acts 2. You ready for this? And if you're taking notes, guys, you can write this down. Um, if you're in Christ, you are where God dwells. Let me say it again. Like if you're in Christ, that you believe that Jesus has died for your sin, risen from the dead, you've turned from your sin, you've turned to him. Okay, guess what? You are where the very presence of God dwells. Because the Spirit has breathed into you, he's changed your heart, he's redeeming you, sanctifying you, changing you, making you a new person, he's empowering you for ministry and life. If you're in Christ, you are where God himself is walking on the planet. Are you God? No, you're not. But he's living in you. Oh, that's really cool. That you, hey, you've been marked as the holy place. Huh. So can, can I just, as, as we're wrapping up here, can I just ask you, um, what will you do with that? I mean, that can be intimidating, right? That can be, it's like, oh my gosh, I hope I get it right. You won't. Spoilers. And he'll be patient, and he'll be gracious, and I mean, just, he'll walk with you, and he'll keep molding you, and he'll keep making you more like him. That's his job, not yours. Your job is just to say yes when he convicts. Okay. okay but what will you do with it? Will you say yes? We go, right, listen, all right, I believe it. I believe it by faith. I can't see spirit, but I believe it. Will you say yes? Okay, you know what, Lord? If this is true, you've created me to not just live in Lewis, but to be here for Lewis. You understand? Like, will you say yes, Lord? Okay. Um, I don't feel like I'm, I'm the, the smartest person in the world. I don't feel like I know everything that I, I should know, but you know everything that needs to be known. And I've got this friend or this family member who's going through this or who's turning from you, and my heart just breaks for them. I want them to know you. I trust you're going to give me the words, and you're going to give me the wisdom to do the right thing. Like, what would happen if we actually believed that the Spirit of God himself, who parted the Red Sea, is in you and me? Well, how about we wrap up and just ask him what we can do with that? Okay, so look. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Lord Jesus, we thank you because you've made a way. We could not receive the Holy Spirit if you hadn't shed your blood to wipe away our sin. The Holy Spirit is holy. You've taken away every hindrance from us receiving your Spirit on the cross. Lord, we're just men and women. There's nothing particularly elevated about us other than we have you. But that makes all the difference. Hmm. 
The Bible says that, that surely the Lord's arm is not too short to save. So for the ones who feel like they've made a mess of things. Oh, yeah, I, I used to be able to gel with this. And um, when I was younger, before I had done this, this, and this, I could get on board. But now I, I, I've squandered my shot. No, you haven't. No, you haven't. You've been brought to this moment because God has something in store for you. That he wants to save and use you. So let me just encourage you. Um, the scriptures say that we, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us of our sin and, and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Um, I want to just encourage you to hand over where you feel like you've disappointed God. Hand that over to him and say, Lord, here it is. I acknowledge that I've done wrong. I trust you to use me because you're worthy. You'll forgive me. For the ones who are timid, who kind of feel like, hmm, God could use stronger people than me. Lord, I thank you because you're the God of Gideon who was a coward. And he led him into victorious battle after battle. It's not through your strength, guys, that he'll do it. It's through the strength of the Lord. You might not believe in yourself enough, but can you believe that God is strong enough? The promise rests on him. Mm. And Lord, I pray for the ones who like, oh gosh, they're like the father in the gospels who says, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. They want so badly to believe that you're with them. Holy Spirit, would you create a renewed trust in your word that what you said is true? They're not the exception. They're not the outcast. I speak against the lie they've been living, living their entire lives, that they're on the outside of the circle and there are people who are in and there's them. It's not true. Listen to me, if you believe that Jesus died for your sin and rose from the dead, you can't believe that unless the Holy Spirit has brought that to life in you. You can't go from spiritual death to life without the Spirit of God making that happen. And if he started that, you're not on the outside. Lord, we as a people say yes to you. We believe that you've given us the spirit. We pray for uh, just an empowering and a renewing of faith that we would walk as temples. Okay, and last thing. For the ones who um, know, as I said that, they're like, oh, shoot. I have been living as anything but a temple. Okay, Lord, may this be the moment where they repent of their sin, 
They turn from it. They confess whatever they need to confess. And they walk with you. I thank you because as you convict, you empower and you strengthen to go forward. You'll give them everything that they need. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.